Hey there, everybody. Welcome to the Punch Like a Girl podcast. I'm Nathaniel. I'm Liz. And today we are taking a look at El Defo by C.C. Bell. This is kind of a big one. This is a Newbery Honor book. Um, and a quick reminder for what this show is, if you're tuning in for the first time, we take a look at any graphic novel, which could be a um, compiled as a graphic novel or a trade paperback collection of um, comic book issues, but it has to feature a female protagonist. Um, and that is the one only requirement, and this certainly qualifies for that. So this is one that Liz brought to the table. Any background you want to give on this? Yes. So um, many of our Vermont um, listeners will be familiar with it because it is um, the Dorothy Canfield Fisher winner, um, award winner for 2016. Um, and I have seen Cece Bell, the author, um, she gave a speech um, several weeks ago in Montpelier. So I can add a little insight to that because this is basically a memoir of her childhood and her experiences being deaf um yes so it it is her memoir except with rabbits with rabbits and i can actually she explained that a little bit to people she said she really wanted to emphasize the fact that um she felt like the only rabbit or the only person that had these you know like ears that couldn't hear so she really wanted to emphasize the fact that everyone was she felt like everyone was always looking at her ears and her hearing aid and she felt that rabbits brought that to the forefront um plus they're adorable they are and that that, and that certainly doesn't hurt so um we're going to talk about this whole thing pretty freely normally i would put up spoiler warnings except that this is a story where the the point for point events aren't necessarily the point i mean there's no big shocking twist there's no big revelations it's pretty straightforward it's more about the way that it's told and the uh feelings being expressed rather than the actual plot points so um i suppose maybe if you really insist on going in this fr- thing fresh maybe consider that a spoiler warning but it's not really a spoilery story which makes sense when you think about it in terms of it being um autobiographical yeah so um it deals with the main character who is named Cece, which is the same name as the author i mean this is aside from the fact that it's rabbits this does really nothing to hide the fact that this just is her story Mm -hmm. so when she is young she contracts an illness she contracts meningitis Meningitis, which causes her to go deaf um and then and it was what age four Four, at age four she goes deaf and then she she gets hearing aids and this um this was in i think the 1970s around 1975 yeah so spoke about that during her speech in Montpelier so she has she has um hearing aids but they are bulky and they have cords that people can see and when she goes to school she has to wear something called the phonic ear to be sure sure that she can hear really clearly and her teacher has to have a microphone around her neck so it's not something she can really hide from and she feels very exposed by it um but at the same time as time goes on she starts to find sort of how 
it's not just that she's different, but it's actually, in a way, it's a superpower, particularly with the phonic ear, because when her teacher leaves the classroom, if they've still got the microphone around their neck, she can still hear them anywhere in the school. Um, so, and she sort of, in her mind, creates this alternate identity of El Defo, the superhero, um, which, which is very much an internal monologue kind of alter ego. Mm -hmm. um, because Cece, as a character, lives very much in her own head. Mm-hmm. Um, which isn't surprising, given that she kind of feels like most people in her life um, don't get her in one way or, or another. Um, and, and I think that's one of the strengths of this book, is that all the... She doesn't... She encounters a whole lot of problems but they're very personal they're emotional and they're they're variants they're not she's not encountering the same problem over and over again with different people mm -hmm. but she's encountering different issues most of them relating to her hearing or at least her own anxiety about her hearing um but they're all different problems like one of her early friends you know when she first starts going to school is actually not really that good a friend but she puts up with this person because they don't make any kind of a deal out of her hearing at all Mm -hmm. Then later she makes friends with someone who is a better friend but keeps making a big deal out of her being hard of hearing and who talks overly loud and slowly when she actually doesn't have to do that. Um, and, it's, and it's those sorts of her trying to find a balance in the relationships in her life and to be happy and dealing with a whole bunch of nerves in her own head mm -hmm. um, about, about her disability, basically. I think too, and having met Cece Bell and some things she spoke about is how, especially when she was younger and um, was how she's not very assertive. She doesn't really, like when she's hurt or when she's um, upset, she might not tell that person. And I think that's what a lot of her issues with friends stem from and what ultimately had her spurred her to write that book as an adult was an incident where um, with a um, grocery store clerk where they were rude to her and she you know she didn't stick up for herself but she went home um, and like in tears and then you know eventually was inspired to write this book to tell her story um, so I think as someone who was really shy and not very assertive in elementary school I could relate a lot to that I, I think she makes it really relate. I mean, I I think this is an an immediate, almost must read for any kid um, with any kind of disability because I think you'll relate to that right away. But I I still found a lot to relate to with this in terms of how much she was able to to just realize in a very realistic way that internal thought process of you know oh my god are they staring at me i don't want them to think this about me so i'll do this or i won't do this or i won't say anything mm -hmm. and this like to compare it to something that we reviewed before that I actually had issue with on this level to compare it to say roller girl where i found parts of that frustrating because of how faulty the thought process of the main character was and the conclusions that she would leap to mm -hmm. now the character of cc kind of does the same thing but I'm okay with it because it all that it does is renders her basically inert like she's paralyzed because 
she is afraid because she's leaping to conclusions about what people must be thinking of her. And I can relate to that. What I have a harder time relating to and what I get frustrated with as a reader is in stuff in Roller Girl where she comes to a faulty conclusion and then does and then actively does something stupid or hurtful based off that faulty conclusion. I have a, I always have a harder time relating to that than I do someone who just clams up because of it. Because that I get. And that's what happens here. Yeah, I think that's true. And I do think she is a really inspiring character, especially for um, children with disabilities. Um, she... It's... I really like how the book... I, it's never something I've really thought about. Like, what would it be like to be deaf? But it really goes into de depth about the just all the things that are involved in like lip reading and all like how you have to look for contextual clues and how if someone's like got a beard it's harder to read what they're saying and like it's just really kind of fascinating to me as someone you know who has no hearing issues like what that world is like um i also think it does in the first um i believe it's the first chapter the way she loses her hearing the way they show it is really well done with it fading out of the speech bubbles and then there's blank speech bubbles so i think that this that this um her memoir really lent itself well to a graphic novel it does it takes very good advantage especially of of the nature of speech bubbles which which a good um, you know, artist and author knows how to take proper advantage of because um, in this medium, it's something that is either just, you know, replacing quotation marks in a standard narrative or it's something you can really take advantage of. And she does with with that. And also even later on when she's got her hearing aids in, if someone is saying something to her, but they're not facing her, and she can't read their lips. It's just these these basically these sort of vowel sounds that's all that's written so it you know goes from a proper sense that you can read to just because that's all she can actually hear without also having you know being able to see the lips to get better context on it and that and again that that is realized really well through the use of the speech bubbles yeah i i mean i think that's one of the things that i found most impressive with it it's like one of the best use uh, uses of speech bubbles i've seen in a graphic novel again i'm not as well versed in graphic novels as Nathaniel, but like I just was very impressed with that. It is really good, and it's one of those things that, like, for for most graphic novels, whether it's a trade compilation or whether it's something that was just written as a one-off, like this was, it's something that most just it's just there. The speech bubbles are just there for the dialogue, and you move on. But every now and again, you come across someone who really finds a way to take advantage of the uniqueness of that of that visual way of of relaying speech and when you come across that it really makes you go oh wow this person really knows what they're doing with with this medium mm -hmm. um and she does and the and the artwork as with most of the books that are sort of aimed at the grade school range is kind of simplified it's kind mm -hmm. of cartoonish um but it is it it works and it's and it's appropriate to given both who the character is and who the target audience is i will say the one part 
that I was frustrated with the artwork with, and usually it did work for me, was when she was learning sign language, and I wanted to know more clearly what the signs were, but with their little bunny hands having, like, no fingers and they, the simplified art, I was like, I don't, I really want to know what that sign actually is, and I cannot tell, so. Yeah, because they've, they've got hands like mittens, so it's like, it's one big, it's like one big digit and then a thumb. Mm -hmm. um, so I, that didn't occur to me as I was reading it, but yeah, you're right. <laughs> I really wanted to know those signs and I really could not figure it out. So that was when I wanted a little more um, like stylized art. But other than that, other than that time when she was learning sign language, I didn't really, the artwork, I was fine with it being more simplified, but but I've wanted to know those signs. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, you, you, that really got under your craw, oh, didn't I kinda, it? I kind of, I kind of, like I find sign language sort of interesting and fascinating and like it was you know she was trying to figure it out and they I mean the speech bubbles were so great and it was such a good use of it and explanation of lip reading that I was like okay I want to know this issue as well or how this is used and I couldn't so I was a little disappointed um I'll tell you I, you know it's funny you guys I did I don't consider it a disability because it's so common but I really related to later on when she had to get glasses because her experience basically was a direct parallel of my own. Now, yes. for me, it wasn't until high school, but I did have that same experience of looking at, in her case, it's a chalkboard. In mine, it was a whiteboard, you know, a marker board, looking at it and everyone around me is scribbling down notes of what the homework assignment is. I'm looking at it and I lean over and go, can you actually read that? And like my friend looks at me and goes, yeah, can't you? Oh, crap. <laughs> yeah, there's that realization. Like, I got glasses around the same time Cece did. Um, and when she comes out and she's wearing them and she's like, look at those leaves. I remember that being almost my exact same reaction at that age and being like, I can see the leaves on the trees with glasses. I'm like, they have leaves, you know? It's just amazing, the detail. Everything just looks so crystal clear like the first time you put on glasses or contacts. It is, and, it, and again, much like when she, you know, has the phonic ear or whatever, she relays it in her own sort of internal headcanon as like a new superpower. Now she has supervision. Because compared to how she used to see, everything is a billion times sharper. And she hasn't, she it hasn't been her standard long enough that she doesn't think anything about it. Now it's like, whoa. And yeah, that, um, I've never been deaf, but I have had to get glasses and I'm right there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, I think her enthusiasm is just great throughout the book. Just and I love, I love the bits about the teacher and like using the phonic ear to like listen in on the teacher. And later on, when they, they, I mean, it becomes a point of interest and almost a popularity for her that like she can hear the teacher going to the bathroom. So scandalous, but like I can. Totally see kids that age being like, oh my god, this is the funniest thing ever. Um, so I think that's very relatable. I, I like the just the use of humor in this book. It's like got this nice, light, humorous tone. She's just a funny kid, so it does. And for for all the bundle of nerves that she is, she is fairly upbeat mm -hmm. at the end of the day. Now it's funny that you mentioned that because towards the very end, um, 
And I was so pleasantly surprised by this because I thought I called exactly what was going to happen towards the very end. And I guess consider this slightly spoilers because it is the very end of the book and it surprised me, but it's not supposed to be like a Whoa! surprise, but I I guess I'll put this up in the in the show notes as the spoiler section um, before as I talk about this. But at the very end when, because she, for a very long time, she didn't tell the kids that she could hear the teacher wherever she went. You know, she just kept all this to herself because she thought it made her weird. And now the kids think, whoa, that's cool. One of them even says, boy, I wish I was deaf, which is a very ignorant thing to say. But at the same time, it's probably very good for her to hear, uh, for Cece to hear. But what happens towards the end that I love is they, they have a period, they have about 20 minutes of quiet math, um, which is when the teacher basically pops off to the teacher's lounge to have a cigarette. And that is a point at which whoever the quote-unquote bad apples are tend to get up and throw paper airplanes and do whatever else and sometimes the teacher comes back and catches them. Well once they realize that Cece can hear her and basically give them an early warning for when she's coming back, it, it leads to this scenario and what I thought was going to happen was that it was going to turn into a PSA special about no you should always follow the rules and she listened to the wrong friends and that that I, I was so certain that was the road it was going to go down but it doesn't it basically her in her head her version of using her superpowers for good is not <laughs> is not the by what the rule book says is good but like what is going to enhance my social life and not in that superficial sort of you know you'll, you'll be in the cool people's club if you do this like it actually improves her social existence and in interacting with these kids for her to do this realistically very harmless thing of saying hey the teachers come back coming back get back to your desks and it actually celebrates that as her coming out of her shell as opposed to condemning it for her breaking the rules which is what i was so certain it was going to do because that's the stereotypical thing to do with any story aimed at kids this young is to wag your finger and go always follow the rules kids and it doesn't go there and i love that in relation to that i also really like the character of mike miller in that he is by standards you know he is a little mischievous he is one of the people that is like fooling around when the teacher is gone but he at one point sticks up for cc when someone else is really cruel to her and breaks her pencil and drags the boy over and makes him apologize i just really like mike miller i totally and it's just so cute to see little like fifth grade Cece getting her first crush and just how into um, him he is. And it's just refreshing for him to be a nice guy. So and it, again, it's a very realistic balance because so much stuff aimed at aimed at the age group this is aimed at paints things so black and white. Like here are the good kids, here are the bad kids, and. And Mike really rides that line because he's obviously a good kid with a good heart, but he's he is mischievous. He is one of the quote unquote bad apples who's messing around during quiet math. But mm. the the story doesn't judge him for that because he's just a kid. It's fine. He's a kid. He's not really hurting anybody, and he means well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, and side note: so we got the story on Mike Miller. Um, from Cece herself. So Juicy gossip. Okay, so she, she, Mike Miller is still the hubba hubba of her um, life because she met him 
after the book was published and he really liked it and enjoyed it and um she showed us a picture of him and she's like and you can see i had great taste because he's still cute <laughs> so cc bell like i love she it was a great speech but that was one of the funniest parts was how much she was still into mike meller she has since married and you know very happy in her marriage with another um famous children's author but you know, Mike Miller definitely made an impact and everything. And so it's kind of cute that they're still friends and that he enjoys the book and everything. So. That's great. Well, and thank God, because I mean, she didn't change her own name. It didn't occur to me that she might not have changed other people's names, too. It's like, so if it's if it's I really think it his real it was based on his real name. So she told if, us if, if it's close enough to your real name that like you read this book by someone you knew when you were younger and you see well, that's definitely me. That They still reacted well enough to be happy about it. Great. Awesome. One of the things she told us was that if she had a good relationship with that person, like Martha. Martha is still her friend. That is her sidekick friend at the end. Um, she kept their name. But it, for, like, Ginny and um, Laura, their, their names are changed because she did not have a good relationship with them. She did tell the people that they were based on that she was writing the book, but then um, she didn't really hear back from them. And so she she was like, I changed their names because I didn't speak so well of them. That's, honestly, that's actually, that's kind of a very considerate way to go. That if they come off well in the book, sure, I'll use your real name. They come off not so well, nah, maybe I'll, I'll change that one. Yes, yes. and. I, I actually really like Martha, too, because Martha is someone who she, a neighborhood kid a year younger than she was, who she thought did not know anything about her um, hearing aids, but um, did actually, and didn't treat her any different, wasn't bossy, and who someone, like, she met making dirt soup with, which is just, like, the cutest little way to meet someone. I, how... how how third fourth grade is that hey you want to make dirt soup okay and now i mean and they're still friends to this day so the power of making dirt soup is pretty powerful so i i think i think we can safely say el devil gets a pretty enthusiastic um thumbs up from both of us oh, two ears up oh yes so yeah i mean this is this is a great fun book i would absolutely recommend it you know to the age group that it's that it's written for or to any um, family or parent who has a disabled kid, it might give you some insight on, on what they're going through. Or honestly, if you just want a good read, it it is a good read. I mean, you know, just be aware of the age that it's aimed at and the art style, but if those things aren't deal breakers for you, it's just, it's just a good book. It really is. Um, and I think it's kid tested and approved if Winning the Dorothy Canfield Fisher Award is any sign. Um, at the speech she gave, there was like a a line of like twenty five kids lined up to ask her questions, and they were just so into it. It's if that doesn't sound like very many kids, you keep in mind this is in Vermont. This okay, is in Vermont. that's like half the kids in the state. <laughs> no, well, that was just the line to ask her questions. That wasn't even like you know how they have those like. You know, now you can ask the author questions, and sometimes there's ones where there's like three people in like a crowd of like 200 kids. Yeah. No, this was a long line. So, yes. 
So thank you so much for tuning in to the Punch Like a Girl podcast. This is a Council of Geeks production. You can follow it in all sorts of ways on Twitter, Punch Like a Girl 1, punchlikeagirlpod.wordpress.com, where you can see the cover image for whatever we're reviewing and also leave comments directly on there. There is a Facebook page where you can also leave comments. And, and uh, of course, theoretically, you are already listening to this through either iTunes or Stitcher. Feel free to spread the word, leave us a review, whatever you want to do. Um, if you're going to leave a review, have it be a nice one. If you think we suck, keep it to yourself. In any case, thanks so much for tuning in. And uh, until next time, guys. Bye. Goodbye. Punch Like a Girl is a Council of Geeks production. Feedback can be left at the Facebook page and at punchlikeagirlpod.wordpress.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at punchlikeagirl1. The logo and cover art are drawn by Nick Buxom. The theme music is composed and recorded by Erica Dreisbach, whose other works can be found at ericaricardo.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye! Bye!